This morning we're in the same chapter and verses as last week. I wanted to spend two weeks looking at them because there's enough here. Uh, So I'm going to read them again, read the verses again that we covered last week as well. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through chapter 5, verse 4. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as a truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin, Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would continue to change us from the inside out as we meditate on your word and fill our minds with the truth of Scripture. We ask that you would be transforming us from the inside out so that the things that you have in store for us would be more desirable than the things of this world, that the things the world has to offer would not have the attraction that they used to have in our life and perhaps still do have in our life, that we could be set free from chasing after the attractions of the world as we are changed from the inside out to desire more the things you have for us so that we end up chasing what we love. Help us to understand this passage this morning and to learn from it. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, this is part two of the new life, putting on the new self. Last week we looked at putting off the old self. And... um, I just want to kind of reiterate this morning that this is instruction for believers and not unbelievers. The idea of putting on the new self is not just something that a new believer has to hear when they convert. This is something that Christians 
long-term Christians, well-seasoned Christians, have to still do, put on the new self. And it's important to say that because sometimes Christians mistakenly believe that real Christians don't have problems anymore. And I don't exaggerate when I say that. I may have told you this story before, but I remember one of the first churches I was in as a member in North Carolina. Um, we had a Sunday school class before church, and they broke off with men and women, and um, we were going to have like an intimate talk about things, and in the men's discussion, it was like, what things do you struggle with? And as they went around, every single person only mentioned things they used to struggle with before they came to Christ. It was like, well, I used to do this, but, you know, I came to Christ. And, like, no one could admit that they still had issues. And I saw that with my own eyes. I'm not exaggerating. So there are Christians and churches here that, for whatever reason, have this sense of, I can't tell these people what I struggle with now. I can only mention things that I used to struggle with that before, then I came to Christ and I'm all better now. And the problem is that gives Christians the impression that, I guess if I'm a real Christian, I shouldn't have these struggles anymore. So not only do you feel condemned, but then you also won't share or get accountability or get help because you're too afraid to mention it. So it's important to remember this instruction for putting on the new self is for us, for believers. And also remember, like I said last week, that this is a walk. Paul said in Ephesians 4, 1, walk worthy of your calling. And in this passage, don't walk as the Gentiles do. And in 5, verse 2, walk in love. So this is a walk, and that walk gives us the sense of continuation. We're on a journey. The kingdom of God is our destination. We are on our way there. We're getting there. We're making progress. But it is ongoing, lifelong, the pursuit of becoming more like Jesus. And so as we look at these things... Recognize the instructions for us. Recognize that none of us have made it yet, so don't feel condemned by it. But recognize these are the things that Christ has in store for you and wants for you in this new life. So we'll look at a couple of verses in more detail this morning. I covered a lot of them last week as well. Um, just to cover up, or to cover, not cover up, cover what we discussed last week for verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. In verse 21, assuming you've heard about him and were taught in him as a truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, verse 22, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So this is kind of where we focused last week was on putting off this old self. No longer walk like the Gentiles walked in the futility of their minds, but put off your old self. And like I said last week as well, don't take something off without putting something on, please. It's not enough just to take off the old self. This just leaves you with nothing. This is a biblical concept, but these 12-step groups have borrowed from it well when they teach addicts you can't just give up your addiction because then you have nothing. You became addicted to learn to cope with something in your life, and if you just take that away and don't have anything else, then you're just going to be faced again with what you were trying to cope with, what you maybe held or you know, were, were blocking from your mind or whatever tragedy in your past or whatever it was. You need to replace it with something else. It's not enough just to stop these bad behaviors, put off this old self. You have to replace it with something. It isn't what God wants for you to be with nothing. 
to just put off the old self and have nothing. That isn't what God wants for you. It's like what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5. We were there maybe, I don't know, a year ago, maybe longer. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, talking about the new body, the new resurrected body. We know that if a tent, that is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would further be clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. So Paul is even saying with the resurrection, imagine just dying and losing your body, and now you're just some spirit in heaven, like God doesn't want that. He's going to clothe you again with a new body, a resurrected body, a future body. And the same thing is true with on the new self. In verse 23 of chapter 4 of Ephesians, he says, And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. So he says in verse 23, Be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that is, in your inner self, in the way that you think. So Paul isn't saying be renewed by putting the Holy Spirit into your mind. He's saying be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And he's talking about the mental capacities, the mental capabilities, your intellect being renewed up there where you think. Paul says the same thing in a couple of places. In Romans 12, verse 2, he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Again, this idea of being transformed from the inside out by renewing your mind so you can, may discern, so you may know, so you may understand the will of God. There's an even more parallel verse in Colossians 3 to what we're reading this morning because he even talks about the new self again. In Colossians 3 verse 10, he says, And have put on the new self who's being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. So this renewal that Paul is talking about, being renewed in Ephesians 4, it's based on knowledge. It's based on truth. The idea is we need to know the truth and to continually be renewed by it. The way we actually think needs to change. We should not see and think the way the world sees and thinks. We have to have our mind be renewed. And this will transform us over time so that we begin to look less like the world and more like children of God. Note also that this thing, be renewed, is not something that we can do ourselves. It doesn't say in Ephesians 4, renew yourself. It says be renewed. And there's a difference there between an active or a passive thing. It's not something we can actively do on our own. We can't renew ourselves. It's something that passively happens to us. It implies a spiritual change, a transformation from old to new. Now, the part that we play in this is that we need, like I said last week, to study to know the truth. We need to read the scriptures and meditate on them. 
again, think deeply about what they say about God and the world and about us. And then it's the Holy Spirit's work to take those truths and begin to actually renew our mind so that there's real inward and lasting change. You know, I mentioned last week Jacob wrestling with the angel and saying, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And then God does bless him, but also gives him a limp. And I was saying we ought to wrestle with God that way as we study the Bible so it leaves a mark on us, a lasting mark. And the end result, that's passive. Jacob didn't give himself a limp. We don't give ourselves the mark. We just fill our minds with the truth of Scripture and think on it and, you know, continually just, you, you know, there's, there's so much to this idea, but just fill your mind with, you know, who God is. That can be reading the Bible. That can be listening to worship music. That can be praying. That can be fellowshipping with others. Just fill your mind with who God is, and then He does the work of transforming us. So, just notice again, active versus passive. There are two active commands in these few verses and one passive command. You have in verse 22, put off the old self. That's active, something we do. Put off the old self. And there's also put on the new self, which is active, something we do. Put on the new self. But then we have, in the, right in the middle of that, be renewed in your mind which is passive. And I think it's interesting and maybe intentional that Paul did it this way because the truth be told, both these active commands depend on the passive one. They both depend on it because you really can't do these right. You can't put off the old self right or put on the new self right if you haven't begun to be renewed in your mind. Like I said before, Last week, there's a direct connection between beliefs and practices. And this is also in your notes today. The key to putting off the old self and putting on the new self has to do with an, in, an inward transformation by God. It must happen first. Otherwise, what you're left with is guess. What, what are you left with if there's been no inward change and you're just trying to put off old things and trying to put on new things, what is that actually, what would we call that? The kind of life where you're just doing things without an inward change. I was going to say legalism, but that's, yes, it's also pretty carnal. So if you try to put off your old self and put on your new self without having this inward change that causes your, your heart to be on board with that, what you're left with is legalism. So we have to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. And again, our role is simply learning, reading, studying, praying, seeking God. And as we fill our mind with who God is, it's God who begins to actually change us on the inside, transforming us. And then it becomes natural, logical, obvious that what we must do is put off the old self and put on the new. And all of it just makes sense because our heart's on board, because our mind got on board. And I also mentioned last week this metaphor of going on a journey with Jesus. And I used earthly things that would be obvious to us. Right? I used an earthly example of like imagine there's this really awesome ship 
and you've got this obviously dirty and broken backpack with pretty obviously destroyed things, and then Christ is offering you things that are very obviously better, right? So I use like earthly things that made sense, but the truth is, spiritually, it isn't always that obvious. If we're honest, often the things in the world might seem more attractive than what God has to offer us. And some of the things that he has to offer us don't immediately seem like the most attractive thing. When Christ you know, says things like, follow me and you will you know, see suffering, like telling, telling the disciples, oh yeah, you want to drink, drink this cup? Yeah, you're going to drink this cup. You're going to suffer too like I did. And, or like the New Testament, you know, all godly in Christ are going to uh, be persecuted. You know, some of these things don't seem obviously like something we would desire on our own. So it's not so easy for us to compare the things of the world with the things of Christ in some cases. In our present condition, sometimes we don't always think, oh yeah, all of those heavenly things are better. Sometimes we're thinking, that sounds hard, or that sounds boring. Giving up all these things, that sounds boring. And that's why it's so important that this inward transformation happen to cause us to begin to see things differently that causes our heart's desires to actually change. Because then it will make sense. It's almost like what happens is as you fill your mind with the truth of the Bible, you begin to see the world for what it really is. And the desires and the attractions of the world lose their grip on you when you've felt the, the deeper, satisfying presence of Christ in your life. Like in Psalm 16, verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We don't think that way until this inner transformation has happened. This is also why when you're praying for someone to convert to Christianity, understand that you, know, you might tell the gospel completely accurately and passionately, and someone might hear that and think, I don't want it. I don't believe it. I don't buy it. The Holy Spirit, even at that level, with, a, with an unbeliever, there's got to be a transformation that causes them to begin to desire the things of God. It's like Jesus says, no one comes to me unless the Father draws him. And so this whole thing about desires is really important. It's not enough to just put off the old self, put on the new self. An inward transformation has to happen to cause us to desire it. We can't do that on our own, but to get to a place like this where we feel like in your presence is fullness of joy, I need nothing else, or at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. To get to that point, an inward transformation has to happen. And so if you're into a certain kind of entertainment that you think might be leaving the wrong impression on you, but you can't imagine giving that up, because what would you do with that time you've gotten back that you used to give to that thing? What would you possibly do? And yet, a different way of looking at it would be, what if you fell so much in love with God that what you wanted to do was worship Him and put on worship music at home or read your Bible or get together with a Christian and pray for somebody or listen to sermons online and you just you got so obsessed and all of a sudden you're like, wow, it's been a whole week. I haven't even watched that anymore. The whole week's gone by. Where did that time go? I didn't even miss it. 
That's what you want is that inward transformation that you get so distracted by chasing what you love that you're just not even thinking of those things anymore. All right, so last week, as we were looking at the old self, um, I highlighted some things in the text that were related to the old self, and so we're going to review that, and then we'll look at some of the things in this text that are related with the new self, so we can kind of contrast those. So in the old self, we had things like, you know, falsehood, which is like lying, sinful anger that gives opportunity to the devil to tempt you, stealing, corrupt talk, profanity, which is the opposite of edifying, being profane, grieving the Holy Spirit, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, filthiness, foolish talking, crude joking. These are all things that many of us struggle with still and many things that in the world might not even be considered wrong. And now let's contrast those with the things that we are to put on with the new self, the things in the pack that Jesus wants to give us for our journey with him. Speak the truth in contrast to lying. I'm sorry. Work with your own hands to have something to share with others, which is way better than stealing. Talk in ways that build up others and give grace instead of corrupt talk. Being kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving. That's in contrast to things like being bitter, having wrath, anger, clamor, slander. Imitate God as beloved children, which is really what it means to put on the new self, is you're going to be imitating God as children of God. Walking in love, which not just any kind of love, not just a kind of frou-frou, sort of like, let's smile all the time and give each other hugs, but Christ's love, sacrificial love, it says in verse 2, like him who gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, that kind of love for others. Speak with thanksgiving instead of filthiness or crude joking. There is something to be said about that, speaking with thanksgiving, the way we report on our week, the way we talk about what's happened to us or our relationships or challenges in our life. Finding a way to have thanksgiving in that is a challenge. So last week I asked you to look at these old self qualities and say, do you see any of those things in your pack? And this week, I think I should ask the same question. Do you see any of these things in your pack? You probably don't have all of them, and probably not all the time, but you should see some of them if you're following Jesus, and you should see progress being made. Some of these things you should see stronger in you than maybe 10 years ago or 5 years ago. You should be making progress towards Christ. Again, it's a walk. So we haven't perfected these things. But as we have put off the old and put on the new, we should begin to see less of these ones, these bad ones, and more of these ones in our pack. As we focus on God and seek God and fill our minds with who God is and we get transformed, like it says in 2 Corinthians 3.19, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed 
into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So just some concluding thoughts, maybe similar to last week, but remember that this is all about joy. It's all about delight. It's not about giving up things we love and being left empty, void, or shallow, or purposeless. It's about realizing all that Christ has to offer us in this new life. It's about moving from a place where we find delight in the world's offerings and find more delight in Christ. You might know the story of Narnia. You might have watched the movie Narnia movies. Um, There's a great transformation that happens with Edmund. At the beginning, he's very rebellious. He's kind of that middle child, um, and he's you know, angry, rebellious a lot. And he, at the beginning, gets trapped by the white witch's lies and flattery and with the delightful things she's offering, Turkish delight, which always looks delicious, but I've heard actually it doesn't taste that good, but I'd like to try it. Haven't yet. Did we ever make I thought we made that sometime. We were, okay, we're going to make it sometime. <laughs> it looks amazing in the movie. It sounds amazing in the book. At the beginning, he's, he's entrapped by the white witch. She's flattering him. She's building him up. She's giving him all these things. But over time, he begins to see what she's really about, this white witch, what her plan is. And he realizes not only that he's in big trouble, but his family's also in big trouble. Later on, he's rescued by Aslan, who is this Jesus figure in the story. Aslan vouches for him, essentially taking his place, the punishment for him. And they have this private conversation. And his whole perspective changes. And he begins to see her as a true enemy. And by the end of this story, at the beginning, he was attracted to her, sitting in her carriage, her arm around him, and she's giving him these delights of the world. And by the end, he's got a sword. He's ready to kill her. And he breaks off her spear, and he's giving his life against what she stands for. Because a transformation happened, and he began to see her not just differently, but for who she really was. And for us, the same thing has to happen. It's not just that we begin to see the world differently. We've got to begin to see the world for what it really is and see the world's offers for what they really are and how much they pale in comparison to what Jesus is offering us. And so again, it's about joy and delight. And as we go into our time of communion... Let's just continue to ask God to help us find delight in the things of the new life so that we'll chase after them and find joy in them and won't even be thinking about the old self anymore. We'll have put those things off kind of indirectly because we're so excited about what he has to offer.